So I'm going to read our scripture for today. That's found also in 1 Timothy 6, and it's verses um, 6 through 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. All right. Everybody hear me okay? We've been getting some wind noise through here. It's part of the fun of being outside, so I found a little foam thing to stick over here. I don't know how that's affecting things. So if it is terrible on the live stream, y'all have to do a bunch of emojis that look terrible or something so I'll know what's going on. But I'll try to keep an eye on that. Let me know if it's, uh, if it's working all right. Give me a thumbs up on there or something so we know uh, that you're hearing it okay. If the wind's bad enough, I'll just preach to you like this the whole time. <laughs> we'll make it work. But Okay, so we are in this series called Satisfied, and we've been talking about um, finding contentment in life, and we started that just last week, and talking about how this is kind of a perfect time to talk about this, because we, most of us, find ourselves very discontent with this whole coronavirus thing, right? Amen? (laughs) And so uh, we are ready, you know, oftentimes we talk about getting back to normal, Uh, And we talked about last week, though, how in reality we weren't all that thrilled with normal when we were there. In some ways we were discontent then. And if we think that we're going to be content when we get back to normal, well, that may be a short-lived thing as well. And so we kind of emphasize the fact that if if you want to be content in the there and then, you'll have to learn to be content in the here and now. And we do that by Christ's strength in us. And so... I uh, just look forward to kind of taking the next step in the series. It's going to be several weeks long, and we will talk about different aspects of it. And today we're going to be talking about 
the aspect of wealth and money, that kind of thing with regard to this, which again is a difficult topic right now because we're all in different places with our money during this whole coronavirus thing. I would say that probably most of us have been at least a little unnerved by the financial instability of our nation right now, whether you've invested in the stock market and have been watching that whole thing go crazy, or you maybe lost your job, or maybe you just lost income to some degree, or maybe that's still going on for you. Maybe on the other hand, you've never made more because you got a stimulus check plus your regular check, or, or maybe you've been working overtime because your job got busier during this time. So there's a whole wide range of ways that we may be feeling about money right now. And so, here we are in a series where, you know, we're trying to find contentment and what, what does that look like with regard to our money, with our wealth? How can we be content whether we're making a little bit or a lot or whether the stock market crashes or whether it goes up? How can we come to a place where we are satisfied with what we have? Because what we have is enough when God's in, in it with us. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you know, for years and years, thousands of years, Christians have understood that we can't put our hope in money and that there's only so much that money can do in providing some kind of sense of well-being for you or even of security. And recently, science has been kind of catching up to us on that. And so they did a study not that long ago where they tried to look at, um, you know, how much money, at what point does the money you earn stop increasing your level of happiness. And so what they found, this was interesting to me, was that across international borders, as a, as a common theme, even across different regions and areas of our country, uh, $75,000 for a household was about where your increase in happiness maxed out. Um, and that was really interesting to me. So once you reach that point, then I guess basically, all you're doing is upgrading, you know, like, or, or making your life more complicated, right? Uh, so up to that point, you can, you know, you're still making some improvements in your, in your overall well-being of life and getting kind of some basic security, some consistency with your basic needs met and that sort of thing. But beyond that, it's, it ceases to pay returns in terms of personal happiness. So that was pretty interesting to me. Julie read something the other day that kind of maybe helps explain this and it was saying to think of this in terms of like if you had your only transportation was a bicycle and so you went to work on your bicycle you went to church on your bicycle you went to the store on your bicycle that's it and then one day you kind of got a pay raise or a new job or whatever and you were able to go out and buy a used Prius uh, you know, solid little car, but, you know, nothing fancy by any means, kind of just a bottom-of-the-line Prius that you could get around in, and that's a huge upgrade from a bicycle, right? All of a sudden, you're able to get places a lot faster. You're able to, uh, you know, do the things you can do with a car. You can put all your groceries in the back and not have to try to balance them on your bicycle on the way back. It's a big difference. Um, then you get another job, and you upgrade to a Mercedes, all right? At first, that's probably like, yes, this is awesome. You've got kind of the status symbol thing going, some comfort, some bells and whistles you didn't have before. Uh, but over time, that happiness fades because really all you've done is trade in for a different kind of car. It still pretty much performs the same function that the Prius performed, just with a little more comfort, uh, a little more bells and whistles, 
and but frankly more expensive upkeep, right? So there's a headache that comes with it too. And so that's kind of the, what we experience with wealth. You know, as we grow in our income, there's some level at which it kind of maxes out how much happiness it's going to provide for you. And beyond that, you're just going to add headaches, you know, and possibly some luxuries and that kind of thing. But those luxuries are fleeting in the amount of contentment and satisfaction they can bring to your life. They don't satisfy in the same way that I don't have enough food to feed my kids. I do have enough food to feed my kids. That's a big step. Uh, I have nicer food to feed my kids is not as big a step. So I think that makes sense to me. And, you know, that's, that was helpful information. So let's look at what Scripture says about this because, you know, look, if anything, like I say, this whole coronavirus thing has taught us the lesson again, as if we needed it again, that wealth is not something we can place our hope in. It's not something where we can say, look, I've got enough stored up that I'm secure. You know, I've got a, a retirement account in my mutual fund, I'm good. Uh, you know, we just can't. We can't even say, like, you know, the government's got me covered. You know, they've been covering us pretty good right now, but, you know, how long can they keep doing that? This whole thing has just helped us to understand how unstable money is how unstable economies are, and that they're no place to put your hope and confidence because it's just one disaster from going away. And so we have to learn to place our hope and our trust and, our, and find our contentment, our sense of satisfaction in something else. So let's look at, this is another letter from the Apostle Paul. Last week we looked at a letter from the Apostle Paul while he was in prison to a church. And he said, look, even in chains, I've learned to be content. Whether I have nothing or I have something or I have a lot, I've learned to be content in every situation, and I do that by the strength of Christ in me. Now, this week's a little different because this letter is from him. Again, we believe towards the end of his life, so he's very well still in prison. Uh, it might be. But he's writing to this young pastor friend of his that he's been mentoring, and he's telling him, here's what you should tell your people. Uh, here's what you should teach, especially to those who are on the better end of the spectrum, better off financially, who have all their needs met, and then some. So he talks about this, starting in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. We read some of this a few minutes ago. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Uh, we read that, and we think, Amen. Uh, but at the same time, we're like, yeah, I'm not content with that. <laughs> if we're honest with, with ourselves, that doesn't quite sound good enough. Uh, you know, just, just for reference, that word in clothing in Greek has this, it's, it literally means covering. And so we, it could mean shelter as well. So we're just going to say, like, if we have food and we have clothes and we have a roof over our heads, we're good. We're content with that. That's what we should be content with, right? That, that should be enough to meet our needs. Um, we, we should be content. If God provides that for us, then we're able to go on living and, and breathing and doing His work. And so that should be enough for us, especially when we remember what He said right here. And we know this too, and we say things like this in our popular culture. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You know, I still remember vividly when Hadley and Peter were born. That moment 
I think, gets imprinted on every parent's life, right? And on every dad's life that stands there beside, beside his wife and sees her, you know, through that in the sense of, I'm here, honey. <laughs> you know, there's only so much you can help. But when that gets done, you hold this newborn baby, and they come with nothing. 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 I'm a witness. They come with nothing. As expensive as they are, you'd think they'd come with some cash. But they come with nothing. Not a thing. And we seem to sometimes kind of forget that until we come to a point where we recognize our own mortality. And maybe it's on our deathbed or maybe it's on a near-death experience or something that we have that shakes us up and causes us to remember again. We came here with nothing. We're going to leave here with nothing. We don't own any of this stuff that we own because all of it's not our. We can't hang on to it in the end. And so we're just managers of it for a season. And this should change our perspective and help us to realize that if we have our basic needs met in this life, we should be content with that. He goes on, though, and says that those who want to get rich, like, let's just talk about affluence, affluence in terms of biblical, the biblical concept of it. And that would just be this idea that we have more than we need. Uh, there's a lot of people in the world that have less than they need. Uh, probably most people in the world have less than they need, especially historically, you know, and in the times that this was written, most people had less than they needed. It, they weren't, they were malnourished. They were, you know, not sure of their next meal, not sure if they would have adequate clothing or covering over their head. And this is still true today. We happen to live in a society where even our poor folks are more affluent than many people around the world. Um, they have their basic needs met by programs and things like that. Now, I know there's exceptions to that, and, and we don't want to make light of that at all. But by and large, we have our needs met in this nation, and then some. Uh, we call things rights that are beyond our basic needs. We call them necessities. You know, things like a cell phone, things like uh, internet access, things like uh, cable television or whatever, you know, something that you can stream and watch. These are basic necessities in our world. Cars, things like this that, that, you know, we feel like we've got to have them to function in society, and yet really those are things that are above and beyond what we need in this life. And that is what it means to be rich, right? Is to have more than you need. Now, obviously, there's different levels of rich, and you could have you could be absurdly rich. And most of us don't think of ourselves as rich because we drive by mansions or by cars and we think, I could never afford that. <laughs> you know? And so we think, well, they're rich, I'm not. But it's really just different levels of having more than enough. We have more than enough in our society. And so he says, look, those who desire to have more than enough and more and more and more than enough, they end up uh, falling into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That last line, I feel like that hits home for me, and when I look at our society, it hits home for our society. I feel like 
our pursuit of wealth and our pursuit of money and our, our longing for that, our, our, our treating that as a god in our culture, has pierced our society with many griefs. We deal with so much anxiety in our culture, so much uh, suicide and things like that, depression. Uh, we deal with so many problems at so many levels in our culture. You would think that the most affluent nation in human history would have more peace than anyone, and yet in many ways it seems like we have more mental health problems than anyone, more spiritual health problems than anyone. And I think in their culture, it was probably really easy to see those very few people who were wealthy, who did have more than enough compared to those who struggled to have enough, and to look and see, wow, the ones who have more than enough are the ones falling into traps and being pierced by many griefs and having all these troubles that many of these poorer folks don't have. And, and so maybe it was even more obvious in their culture, but I think we definitely see this in our culture. Don't you? We think that money can buy us happiness, but in the end it buys us grief. And so we continue to place our trust in something that just, it just doesn't work that way. So I want to spend a few moments talking about how can we find contentment, especially since we are in an affluent nation. Since we do have more than enough, what can we do to not place our hope there and to not fall into these traps or be pierced by many griefs? And so thankfully for me, I've got a script here from the Apostle Paul to this young pastor. Teach them this. When you talk to people who have more than enough, tell them this. And so that's what we're going to look at. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain. We can say an amen to that these days, right? So uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's a couple things I want to just mention here. But the first thing I want to say is, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we place our hope in God? How do we shift our hope from money as being our security and our sense of satisfaction in life and shift it over instead and place our hope in God? whether it's a, a good time or a bad time financially, whether the stock market's booming or whether it's busting. How can we place our hope in God and not get so tied up and wrapped up in what our money is doing? Well, here's one suggestion I've got for you, and there's d different aspects of this that we'll talk about, but seek satisfaction with a tighter budget. And here's why I say that. This is, when you have more than you need, then one way that you can move your hope towards God is to stop relying on your money so much. And so you tighten your budget so that you have what you need, but not a lot more than what you need. That you're living on what you need, but not a whole lot more than that. So you, you tighten your budget. This is kind of related to like fasting. Uh, when you fast from food, one of the things that does is it teaches you uh, that your stomach is not your God, that you want God more than you want food, right? And this is a similar way of, by restricting our budget, we can say, God, I want you more than I want money. I need you more than I need money. I'm going to rely on you and not on money, and not on the things that money can buy me. 
and not on the luxuries and happiness and all that. And so we restrict our budget, and it's a way of kind of like fasting, of drawing closer to God and saying, I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to find my hope in you, God. Here's another thing about this. He said, you know, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And this reminded me of something that I read recently in a book called uh, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. And so it's, it's kind of about removing hurry out of your life, which is so needed in our culture. In fact, I think it's one of the most important books written in our generation, and it's a great read. So if you haven't read that or run across that book, I highly recommend it. It's called The Relentless Elimination of Hurry. It's written by a guy named John Mark Comer. You'll probably hear me talk about it some more in other messages. But one of the things that he said in that book that caught my attention and reminded me, this reminded me of it, was that we don't have to own things to enjoy them. Sometimes we think that we have to buy, buy, buy everything to enjoy it. But in fact, we don't have to, and especially in our nation we don't have to. There are public parks that we can enjoy without owning a bunch of land. There are public places where you can go without having to own it. There's a library down there where you can go and borrow just about any book under the sun without having to own it, right? Or check out a movie without having to own it. You can rent something without having to own it. You can borrow something without having to own it. Uh, we don't all have to have, you know, a giant truck and a trailer and a power washer and all these things. We can borrow and help each other out and, uh, you know, you don't have to own everything to enjoy it. And God has given us everything for our enjoyment. You can walk outside and enjoy all this without owning it. And that's a lesson that maybe we need to learn in our culture because we buy, buy, buy so much stuff that we don't even have room for. Uh, and then we have to rent storage to you know, keep our stuff that we don't have room for or something like that, or buy a new storage unit you know, so that we can own more storage so that we can place the more extra stuff we own. And we'll talk more about stuff next week. But for this week, I just wanted to say, like, look, we can, we can live on a tighter budget. We don't have to own everything to enjoy it. God has given us everything for our enjoyment, and ultimately he's given us himself and these relationships that we have for our enjoyment. And so let's learn to live on a tighter budget, being satisfied with our basic needs being met, and not trying to place our hope in wealth as the source of our contentment. So that's one step that we can take. He goes on, though. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Doesn't this sound like Jesus? Remember, this is an apostle of Jesus. He's basically mirroring the teachings of Jesus. He says, they're laying up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Uh, the life of, of wealth and luxury, that looks like life. That's what our culture says is life. That's what every advertisement says is life. That's what every movie and every TV show tells us is life. But it's not life. And so if you really want life, the Apostle Paul says, be generous. Store up treasure for yourself in a different kind of currency. You can invest in the stock market. You can invest in real estate. You can invest in, uh, you know, you can save all your money. You can invest in whatever you think is a good investment. 
here on earth, but none of that can bring you joy and none of that can last you past this life. But there are certain investments that can. So our second kind of idea for how to work this out in our life is not only to live on a tighter budget, but actually when you do that, it frees you up to be more generous. So seek satisfaction through generosity. And maybe that seems like a really weird idea. Uh, you know, how does me, you know, like sure that might help them feel satisfied if I'm generous to them, but how does that help me feel satisfied? Well, again, when we're placing our hope on God and on a currency that will last, then uh, generosity is a way of expressing love, right? It's a way of showing love. And love is an investment that lasts forever. In fact, I think that's heaven's currency. It's not the dollar. It's not gold. I know it says the streets are paved with gold, but I mean, that means it's asphalt there. It's worthless, <laughs> right? Uh, what matters there is love. God is love. Jesus said, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And when we love and receive love and give love and receive love, we are investing in the economy of God. And that is an, an investment that can't be taken away from you because God is love and God never dies. He's always been. He always will be. And when we invest in love, that's an investment that can only grow over time. And so when we die someday and find ourselves in a place or time where money and the dollars that we accumulated here and the things that we accumulated and the real estate that we accumulated is all evaporated into thin air and we can't hold on to any of it, we'll find that we still have love, that we invested in the right thing. Uh, how can you begin to be more generous? This isn't just about uh, being generous to the church. Uh, that's a great way to be generous towards God, but you can also be generous to your fellow man. You can be generous to those that you see in need around you. There are limitless needs. In fact, sometimes we feel overwhelmed by the amount of opportunities that we have to be generous. And so you probably need to create some kind of structure or how are we going to decide what to give where. And this, again, I think is where budgeting comes into play. Uh, one of the things that Julie and I have done as kind of a baby step in our own journey of learning to be more generous is to carve out some space in our budget for generosity. And so we set up a little fund and each month that fund builds up a little bit. Um, you know, we hope that someday that fund can be bigger than it is now, but baby steps, right? We're working on baby steps. And so we have a little bit of money that every month goes into a fund that says, it's just called the generosity fund. That's, we're not real creative with our names, but uh, that's what we call it. And so then when there's an opportunity, we don't have to scratch our heads and be like, well, how much can we afford? Uh, how much should we help them with? whatever, like we've got money there. And so we just say, okay, well, that's what it's for. Let's help them out. And so sometimes we we've been able to, you know, see someone that's in need and anonymously, you know, give them some money without them feeling guilty that they're taking money from a pastor or whatever. Like we're, we're able to just kind of do some things with that that are really fun and that we wouldn't have the chance to do if we weren't kind of purposeful about it. And so maybe that's an idea for somebody out there. If, you know, if you're just getting started in this desire to be generous, then maybe that's a first step is, hey, let's just take 20 bucks a month or 40 bucks a month or whatever and put that into a fund that we're not going to touch for anything except being generous to somebody. 
And, and maybe it takes a long time before you see an opportunity. And so maybe that builds up for months and months and months. And you're like, man, that's a lot of money in that fund that I could be using for something. Well, then one day something like this coronavirus thing comes along. And you know a bunch of people in need. And, or your cousin's out of work. And you just stick some money in the mail. Because you've got it. You've been saving it for a time like this. And you didn't even know it. And in doing that, you're sharing love. You're going to invest in love. You're going to receive love back. And you're going to be making an investment for eternity. Amen? That's good stuff. Look, as we kind of wrap this up today, I want to celebrate something about our church's generosity. Uh, through this whole thing, a while back, actually, I think, it was, I think it's God's timing, but not that long ago, we created a, a fund for our church called the Our Family Cares Fund to allow us to share money um, even anonymously with one another when we're in need. And sometimes someone in our church family comes up on a need and we get wind of it or someone gets wind of it and we don't want to spread that around to the whole church family and gossip about them or anything, but we also want to be able to help them. And so people started giving a little bit to this Our Family Cares Fund and we had helped some people over the last several months, you know, before all this coronavirus stuff, who were just in a tough season for whatever uh, reason. They weren't necessarily even asking for help, but we were able to give some help and help see them through some things. And it was just a really neat way of doing what God teaches us to do in the New Testament, of taking care of fellow believers and sharing what we have, just like this passage said, to share with one another so that Everyone has enough to have their basic needs met, right? And so uh, we already kind of had that in place. And then all this coronavirus stuff happened. And we had several families within our church whose income were affected to varying degrees. And it's not always easy to know, uh, you know, where, where exactly everyone's needs were. But the really cool thing was that our church was so abundantly generous. And especially as the stimulus checks came in and some people got them that, we're already getting their full income, and they just said, look, I can share this. And, and so they shared it with our, our Family Cares Fund, and then we were able to give out, and to this point, I believe we've given out at least $5,000, uh, which is really cool, uh, you know, to at least seven different households who lost income in our church family to a level that it really, you know, affected them significantly, uh, affected their budget significantly. And so, you know, I mean, some cases weren't necessarily like they were about to just go under, but look, they lost a lot of income, and that's why our folks shared, because some folks said, look, I haven't, you know, and I've got more than enough, so I'm just going to share it with some people who've lost something uh, recently. And so it's such a cool and a beautiful thing that our church family's been doing, and even the people who have received it have said, you know, look, if you need it back, just let me know, or whatever, you know. Um, and so it's just been a beautiful thing to watch our church family be uh, what the New Testament says we're supposed to be, and sharing with one another and looking for needs, and, and not just being greedy and trying to see how much we can accumulate. And so that's been a really cool thing that I feel like we're growing in as a church. And I wanted to celebrate that today. But look, my encouragement for us as we wrap up this message is just that you would lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. That you would lay up heaven's treasure. 
that you would learn not to put your hope in money and what it can buy you and what luxuries you can experience, but live on a tighter budget. Be satisfied with your needs being met and not having to have more and more and more to satisfy you. Live on a tighter budget as a way of saying, God, you are more than enough for me, and I know that you have provided me with more than enough for my enjoyment in this life. I don't have to own everything to enjoy it. And not only that, God, I want to be more generous so that I can share with those who don't have as much. So that I can sponsor that child in a country that you know, they're not being nourished in the way that they need to be. So I can do things like that to help people that I may never know this side of heaven. And yet when I get there, I'll find that I've invested in love and that love is enough to last. That's my prayer for us today, that we would learn to do this. And that as we do it, we truly find contentment and satisfaction. And so let's pray together as we finish this message up. God, we thank you for giving us everything for our enjoyment. We find that we have more than enough. We are so blessed, even in this season, where there's so much turmoil and upheaval and financial concern in our nation. We have a God who we can trust, who's proven himself trustworthy time and time again. Father, we love you. We confess, God, our, our tendency towards anxiety over these things and our tendency to cling to money as what we need to be happy in this life. So, Holy Spirit, empower us by your grace to move our hope towards God and to make our investment in the things that last. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.